You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It is the APC podcast here at acmepackingcompany.com, part of SB Nation and Vox Media, talking Packers all the time, the only I swear the only Packers podcast in existence. Packers draft prep part two. That's where we are right now. We are all about the defense today. Subscribe to us. Give us a rating if you think we, you know, specifically do not suck at providing you with Packers related edutainment. And uh, follow us on Twitter at the APC pod for more of the same there. I am Zach Rapport, drinking black coffee and staring at a wall in Albuquerque, New Mexico. No Alex Patakis again today. He's been riding the struggle bus at work for a few weeks, guys, and I'm worried that he's going to go like full Milton from office space soon. But uh, I'm not alone here today. Coming in hot from his apartment in Brooklyn, it's Ben Foldy. Hey, man, how are you? I am good. I'm holding a microphone in my hand, which is how really cool people do podcasts. You are hearing me talk. Really quickly uh, to the listeners, if you appreciate what we do here, um, send Ben and Alex a shout out on Twitter at Ben Foldy at Alex Otakis because they put in some serious hustle going all over Manhattan today to make sure that we had the equipment that we needed to make today's show happen uh, without our usual professional studio situation. I wanted to I wanted to say thanks. You are welcome. Uh, I am bearing the lead here, though, today. Uh, as I mentioned, we're talking Packers draft and names to know on defense and to do that with us to lay down a gauntlet of knowledge. We are thrilled to be joined once again by Justice Mosqueda. Thanks for being here, Justice. How are you? Good. It's uh, late April in Portland, and it's raining a lot. And <laughs> I haven't slept you, in a long time. So I'm glad you're picking <laughs> up what I'm putting down stylistically. Like You're really, you're really adapting to the, to the pod. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is what it is. I, I fit in well here. That's why I keep coming back. So. <laughs> If I need to like up the personality, if I need to be the one to up the personality quotient on this podcast, I feel like we're in serious trouble. But uh, Justice, you want to pay some bills real quick and tell our listeners where they can find you all over the Internet and like what you've been up to? Yeah, I still did some freelancing stuff with Bleacher Report this year, but um, for the most part, catch my stuff on OptimalScouting.com. That's where I'm doing most of my stuff. I'm working with them. Uh, We're doing stuff in personnel with XFL and things like that, so. I've been kind of less media-y recently because of that, um, but still kept along with this draft class a lot. Before we get into like some of the names to know, I, I wanted to ask you, because um, I, I know you put in serious work over a number of years to like identify, log, and ultimately predict Ted Thompson's draft day behavior. And I know it's a small sample size, uh, this being Brian Gutekunst's second draft only, but after... After one draft, some free agency acquisitions, do you feel like you have like any kind of handle on on what he's looking for in terms of like athletic thresholds? It doesn't seem like it's too different. And, you know, by the end of Ted Thompson's tenure, 
it seemed like some other people had already been kind of taking over a little bit, at least in terms of how much influence he had. And when you talk to people about, you know, what type of guys Gutekunst is looking after, especially in regards of character concerns and things like that, it kind of seems like he's basically falling in line with what Ted Thompson is doing. So there were certain picks where, like, I'm not sure Ted Thompson would have turned into the Jair Alexander pick. Um, he notably did not go after small cornerbacks, so that one was kind of a surprise. But outside of that, uh, I don't really view them as that different, to be honest, like in terms of the guys that they're looking after. So at this point, you know, some stuff can change this draft. You know, if he keeps targeting small corners and stuff like that, maybe we need to make an adjustment for that. But for the most part, I kind of see it as the Packers franchise is still looking after guys that the Packers franchise has been looking at for the past 15 years, basically. It seemed that last year, if, if anything, that athleticism, like pure athleticism might have been even more valued than it already was, and it was already pretty highly valued. Am I, am I wrong on that? No, because, I, yeah, I, I basically think, you know, the same type of thing, where they're probably going to be targeting athletes. Um, they're not going to be targeting guys with big character concerns. I think just that's kind of their mantra. Young guys. All right, Justice, names to know on love defense. Love young guys, my favorite. <laughs> you love young men? I really do. Age is, age is like my number one thing that I care about in a draft. And I know that's sometimes stupid, but does more, does more good than harm, I think. Well, I, I think you could look at like the Kenny Clark deal, right? Like yeah, Kenny exactly. Clark might be a three contract player because he was drafted so young. So yeah. I, I think that's stuff that's, you know, important to Green Bay where, you know, say what you want and like the money's fine and stuff like that. But there's still some people who are adverse to coming to Green Bay because it is Green Bay, Wisconsin. So being able to lock down guys for, you know, three contracts, you know, might be more valuable to this team than others. Um, I think we saw with like the Antonio Brown thing where like NFL players were openly like laughing at Antonio Brown and saying like, wow, he has to go live in Buffalo. Right. (laughs) I think, I think players still think about it as much as, you know, money, basically they go for money uh, and, you know, tiebreaker might be like the city. It's still something, you know, people talk about, I guess. Yeah, totally. Um, The Packers, have two first round picks uh, heading into the draft here on Thursday. So let's start with pick number 12. Give us, if you can, Justice, like just one or two guys that you think the Packers like realistically will or, or should have their eyes on there. Well, the the guy that I actually liked a lot earlier in the process, but I don't think he's going to end up being there because I think he's going to go to Denver at 10 is uh, Devin Bush. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm pretty, I, I think anyone who follows me on Twitter knows I'm pretty big into like positional value and stuff like that. You know, for the most part, they'll pay off-ball linebackers, big of difference makers. But when you watch Devin Bush play, I mean, he's playing sideline to sideline in ways that most college linebackers usually aren't. Um, it, like, you watch Rashawn Gary, and you come away, and you're like, that was a Devin Bush highlight tape, you know? So he was a guy that I was really big into, but it seems like everyone's kind of caught up that, like, Denver's going to take him at 10, and if Denver doesn't take him, Cincinnati's sitting there at 11. So it would, it would take, I think, you know, an extreme situation for him to fall down to 12 now at this point. But I think, you know, some of the pass rushers might still be there. Um, Sweat, you know, he's a guy who has a heart condition. No one knows how far he's going to draft or drop in the draft. Uh, we saw Starlu Lele, you know, go from a projected first overall pick to kind of fall into where the Packers are picking right now type of range uh, when he had a similar issue coming out. And I think that was 2011-ish. Um, so it wouldn't be a surprise if he was on the board. I think a guy like Brian Burns, this is actually kind of like the best landing spot for him. I think if I were Brian Burns and I were looking at 
spots to land if I were like a free agent, right? Not not in a draft situation, but if I were looking as a free agent, Green Bay would be number one because he could develop, um, you know, as a three down defender right now coming off the bench with Zadarius Smith kicking inside because I think that's the ideal situation. You look at like next gen stats tracks all uh, where guys are lining up and stuff like that. That Zadarius Smith, I think first and second down, seventy five percent of the time he was lining up on the edge. And then on third down, 75% of the time he was lining up inside. So that kind of tells you what type of a player he is. Um, you know, either one of Kenny Clark or, or Mike Daniels is probably going to be on the bench on any given third down uh, this season, which is, uh, you know, maybe kind of questionable use of assets. Um, but they still need a third pass rusher to come out, come play outside on third down. So if, if the option is, you know, improve those reps so it's not Kyler Fackrell, I think uh, Brian Burns makes a lot of sense there because Brian Burns right now is basically a pure pass rusher in a way that we really haven't seen at the top of the draft where even guys like Vic Beasley, I thought, were better run defenders where you can watch Brian Burns play against Miami and Miami's running power plays and it looks like a draw because how far Burns is up the field. He really, really, really can't play the run right now, but he's a, you know, a grade pass rusher as far as you know the college to NFL transition goes. Moving on to pick number 30, it's still round one, but I'm assuming it's like a whole different ball game in terms of the pedigree of guys that you're likely to see available at that point. Do you agree with that? And either way, give us a name or two there that you think makes sense. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think the talent drops off around 12, I would say. Um, 12, 14, somewhere around there, depending on how some of these medicals go with you know, a guy like Josh Sweat or... or uh, I'm spacing on his name. It wasn't Josh Sweat. I got medical concerns mixed up. What, what's Montez? the name? Montez Sweat. I got medical concerns, pass rushers mixed up. That was a guy from last year. Um, I knew it was wrong, though. So Montez Sweat, yeah. If Depending on what his medical looks like, you know, there's a guy like Jeffrey Simmons who probably would be the number one guy in the class, um, but he's got some off-field concerns, and he has an ACL issue right now, so he's probably not going to play until at least after the bye for whichever team drafts him. But, yeah, I, I think there's a talent drop-off to 30, but – We'll see if they hold on to that pick because I think the Packers can move back into the second and just take a cheaper guy. Um, it it caught the drop off from a money perspective is really really high between like the thirtieth pick and even the thirty third. Uh, plus, you don't have to deal with that fifth year option. You can kind of get a guy to sign a contract earlier, so he's not sitting on that fifth year option where like Tennessee and Tampa Bay are dealing with their situations with their quarterback right now, where they're like, "Well, we're playing on twenty million dollar." one-year deals basically so what's the rush for us to extend um so i i think that's a situation where maybe they look at you know I, on the defensive side maybe they look at a corner maybe they look at a safety um i've spent less time on the safety class probably than any other position so i can't really speak on the safeties too much but when you're looking at corners you know maybe a greedy williams drops that far that might be a little bit of bit of a stretch but he's a really good man player i think he fits in well with a mike Benton defense um maybe a deandre baker uh maybe a byron murphy if any of those guys are there at 30 i can see him pulling the trigger but i think that 30th pick more than likely is going to be used on an offensive player than a defender just the way the board is stacking moving on to uh to day two that's rounds two and three where the packers pick 44th and 75th this is where i think it starts to get like way more uh, unpredictable. So again, like not looking for uh, like a crystal ball here, but some guys that you think are interesting as possible day two picks there. Yeah, I think, you know, if they don't go edge rusher at 12, 
Um, I think 44 is probably the spot that they could start considering a pass rusher. Because um, I don't think one's really going to be a value pick at 30. But I think they could look at guys like uh, Chase Winovich from Michigan, right? He's a high, highly athletic guy. Um, they love taking guys like that. He had a ton of production. They love taking guys like that. So I wouldn't be surprised if you ended up being a pick. He's kind of he, – he looks like on paper he's like the super athlete. Um, he's more twitched up than he is fluid on film, but that, that shouldn't be an issue with him if, you know, they're taking the third pass rusher at, at 44. I don't think that's going to be a big deal, rotational guy to keep guys healthy and keep them fresh and all that stuff. So I think he would be worth a pick. Another guy that would be kind of interesting would be this guy, Ben Bonagu. I think that's how you say his name. He's from TCU. He was a transfer from ULM. TCU had another transfer last year um, from Boise State who came in, and they were, you know, one of the best – uh, pass rushing tandems in the whole country, not even the Big 12. So I, I think he's kind of an interesting guy. He's another super athlete, um, which is right up their alley. And then you look at the type of guys like John Schneider's taken in Seattle, be it you know a Bruce Irvin or be it uh, Frank Clark. Those guys that all end up being super athletes. So I, I think that's right up their alley too. So those two would be the two that I would say. 44, it might be a little early you know, relative to everyone else, like the consensus big boards. Right. Um, but that's the type of guys that they draft a little early and then end up panning out for them. So to summarize though, there in terms of best player available and edge rusher, you think it, it doesn't seem likely that they'd take one at the end of the first round, but you see lots of options for, for day two in that category. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think when you're looking at end of the first round, I mean, I think basically everyone, you know, unless, Gary falls because of his shoulder and unless sweat falls because of the heart condition, I don't really see there being many guys in the second half of the first round being drafted off the top of my head. I could just Cleveland Farrell, the, the guy out of Clemson um, who didn't run at all, basically. So that that's the only type of guy that I can think of who might go, you know, even in the back half of the first round, um, if not for medical concerns and all that stuff, maybe a guy like, Oh, Shane's Menes from Old Dominion, but that might be a little bit of a reach too. So, um, yeah, I, I don't see pass rusher at 30. There's just really not that many bodies. And when you're talking about the back end of the first round, you know, that's where you're going to see teams trade up to jump San Francisco to draft a receiver. That's where you're going to see offensive linemen taken. That's where you're going to see the defensive backs start coming off the board. Maybe the guard types like uh, the Boston College guard, uh, Dalton Reisner, who could play, you know, center guard tackle at the NFL level, I think that's probably where Jonah Williams is going to get drafted. Garrett Bradbury, the center from North Carolina State. So when you're talking about the top end of the first round, I think that's where you're going to see, you know, Hawkinson, the two elite linebackers, the quarterbacks, and then it's going to be defensive linemen and pass rushers. And then the second half of the first round, is going to be offensive linemen, you know, receivers at the very end, uh, defensive back, you know, those type of guys. So there's not really going to be pass rushers available to them unless, you know, one of these guys with a medical issue ends up falling into the lap. It, that brings up an interesting point, just that it seems like the Packers are, you know, and we can decide how deep in the weeds we want to go on this, but I think you tweeted the other day about um, 12 being the drop-off of QB contracts. And it seems like both at 12 and 30, the Packers are kind of uniquely positioned to trade down in certain scenarios. Do you want to talk about that a little? Yeah, so basically the way the collective bargaining agreement is structured right is that fifth year option um one can be extremely costly right so you're talking like i mentioned marcus mariota and Jameis winston their fifth year option basically cost as much as their contracts did 
So they're extremely costly. Okay, let's start with that. But the difference is, so in the top 10 picks, and all, all fifth-year options are based off of where what your position is being paid, right? So the fifth-year option for the first pick through the 10th pick is the transition tag, which is the average of the top, I think, five salaries averaged based off of when your team picked up the option. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? So yeah. like the option, the option that, uh, Marcus Mariota and James Winston are playing on right now was actually last year's transition tag for the quarterback position. When it drops off, is pick 10 to pick 11. So the top 10 picks play on the transition tag in their fifth-year option, whereas picks 11 through 32 are actually playing on the average of the first thir- or first 25 salaries, I believe, which is much, much lower. It's about half the price. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at a quarterback, and you're saying, you know, if we want to trade up, if we trade up to 10, that fifth-year option is going to be $20 million. So we're going to end up spending something like $50 million over five years for this quarterback. Yeah. Where if, if you trade up to 11, it's going to end up being something like $40 million. So you're saving about $10 million with just one drop-off of a price point. So it, it, it's kind of a weird structure that they're at right now. But – if Green Bay really does want to put the pressure on the team with all the Drew Locke rumors and stuff like that, I think it makes sense um, because the basically you have one selection that you can, tra- can trade up into where you're not tagging the, or you're not your the fifth year option isn't going to be the transition tag, right? But mm-hmm. it's there. There's basically very little wiggle room, so I think putting the pressure on teams to make quarterbacks come off the board quicker makes a lot of sense, especially in Green Bay's position where. Like I said, I think the talent drop-off is going to be right around 12. Um, it would be a very weird situation for them not to be able to take like a tier two player in that range. I, I would mm-hmm. say like Quinn Williams, Nick Bosa, at Oliver, those guys are different than everyone else. And then the tier two guys are like Hawkinson, Devin Bush, uh, Brian Burns, Montez Sweat, guys like that. So unless they don't like medicals, and quarterbacks don't come off the board, they'll be in a really good position to just take a really big value pick there at two. I don't think they could trade down and still be the tier two guy. Um, so may, trying to force quarterbacks to come off the board so that they can ensure that they get one of those guys if they don't like Gary's shoulder, if they don't like Montez Sweat's heart, um, I, I think that makes a lot of sense for them. So I don't think that they would trade back in that scenario unless you see something where it's like Burns is off the board, Bush is off the board, Hawkinson's off the board. And they don't like sweat, right? I, I think that's yeah. the scenario where they're like, well, we get, we had to make quarterbacks come off the board early. It didn't work, and it's time to cash down. Yeah. As we move into day three, I mean, the Packers have like, I think it's like six more selections. And this is, day three is, uh, you know, it's like throwing spaghetti at the wall time. And Justice, I, I know, I, I don't remember what, you can refresh my memory. I don't remember what round you said. <laughs> It no longer matters. Is it four or five? Five. The draft is four rounds. (laughs) Start us out on the earlier side there with the Packers, uh, two fourth round picks, and then we can kind of, then we can, you know, throw some more spaghetti at the wall later. (laughs) (laughs) So I think some interesting guys to look out for are probably defensive tackles, actually. I think everyone kind of sees Kenny Clark, Mike Daniels, Dean Lowry, and they say, you know, they're probably good at defensive tackle. Um, But I think you look at, their interest in guys like Malik Jackson and free agency, right? I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they use one of these picks on the defensive tackle at the top end of the third round because it just seems like 
between this Darius Smith thing and Mike Daniels kind of having to move to the bench on third down and Kenny Clark is about to get paid, I think they're probably going to transition uh, out of Mike Daniels being in Green Bay. I don't know if they're going to trade him or what, uh, but I think they're going to let his contract expire and not resign him. So I think they're in a situation where they could take a guy at the top, you know, in the fourth round or whatever. And I think guys that are interesting there would be like, like a Rennell Wren. He, he was kind of a productive guy at Arizona State. He did really well at the Senior Bowl. A guy like Daylon Mack, who was, you know, five-star recruit, basically played immediately at Texas A&M, did really well, super athletic for his size, and then he just kind of fell off a little bit and then started flashing again at the Senior Bowl. Um, so I, I think those are the type of guys that they would take where it's like, you know, a, a, a Mack, you know, maybe if he had one more year of college football and he was able to put it all together again like he did his freshman year, he might have been a guy who goes in the top 50 picks. So if you can get a guy like that on a little bit of a discount, I think Green Bay's in a position where I think that makes a lot of sense for him, especially putting guys in the rotation the way that they're going to use them. Because, like, Petten doesn't really run a specific scheme, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think people notice this on film, where it's like, it's more about hybrids, and they use guys in specific roles. It's almost like Baltimore, right, where Baltimore's defensive line, I mean, they start two nose tackles, but they have an under tackle, the guy from Michigan, I'm spacing on his name, who basically plays three technique in like pass rushing situations. And then they ha- they'll have a guy like Carl Davis who will play like full-time five tech, but he only plays five tech, like 10 reps a game. So yeah. like they, they have very, the, the rotation is the rotation and a lot of guys are going to get reps, but each guy plays a very specific role. So I wouldn't be surprised if they start trying to grab those uh, role players early on where you say, you know, they just drafted Daylon Mack and he's going to be the fourth defensive lineman on that team. It doesn't really make sense to use that pick on that guy, but he'll still play 15 reps for him, you know, on a week-to-week basis. Yeah. Speaking of the senior bowl, do you have a Colin Saunders take? He's good. He's you good. like him? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was a guy. I've doing. I've ran a bunch of numbers and try to do. I mean, you guys know this from. Like yeah. Are you? I was going to ask about force players too. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I I run a lot of numbers to try to see. Okay, how can we make the draft more efficient? And there's you know, production thresholds. There's athleticism thresholds. Um, Kalen Sanders hit the production threshold at a small school level, which is pretty hard to do because a lot of these defensive linemen aren't really producing. Like, production on the defensive line isn't something that is normal, right? So, like, at the high school level, you can have guys who are throwing for a bunch of yards and stuff like that. But you could have a pass rusher at the high school level who's starting every game and he'll get two sacks, Yeah. right? Okay. Like, like, talent level follows production on the defensive line. So you don't see like a lot of hyper productive defensive linemen at small schools. So yeah. he was a guy who, who came up on my radar and I want to say October and I started watching it and I was like, this guy's actually pretty good. Like he, yeah. he's kind of an interesting guy. And he ended up getting a, like you said, the senior boy invite. He went down there. He did really well. I think he's probably, you know, I, I would think he's going day two. I don't think he's going to go day three, but yeah, if you want to take him, I mean, he makes a lot of sense. He's the type of guy. I think he's like, 320 or something like that he's doing backflips i mean yeah, he's yeah. a guy who, who he can play nose for you i think he's only six feet tall for you too. yeah he's a squatty dude like he's probably the best small school guy i've seen since javon hargrave and javon hargrave is like a three technique who's playing nose tackle for pittsburgh just because that's where he ended up drafted i think hargrave is going to have a better second contract career basically than his first contract year because he's basically eating space right now and he's not a space eater mm-hmm. so i yeah i, I think kalen sanders he's gonna go i would assume 
early third, maybe late second, something like that. I don't think he's going to be there in the fourth round. What about uh, away from the line? Any any Anybody caught your eye as far as, you know, day three types? There, there's some cornerbacks. I think you look at a guy like Isaiah Johnson from Houston. He's really long. He's really athletic. Um, that might fit the mold if they're not totally confident in what Kevin King will bring to the table because they kind of need that big corner role yeah. to be to be filled still at this point. Kevin King's going through all sorts of injuries still. So I think Josh he's kind of interesting. Who knows how he comes on. Yeah, I mean, Josh Jackson might need to move to safety, man. I, yeah. I, I think they move, they drafted some of these guys at the wrong position where I'm like, Josh Jackson should probably be playing safety. And then the Vandy linebacker, I don't know what you do with him because him and, jo- him and, him and the uh, North Carolina State safety are the same player. Yeah. They're just playing different positions. So. And the dollar backers. Yeah, yeah. That, that's kind of where I'm at with those guys. Have you done a force player analysis of this year? I have. So it's Brian Burns, it's Montez Sweat, it's Chase Winovich, and it's uh, Ben Bonnegut. Those oh, are the guys okay. who are So you've hit highly, all your guys. Highly, yeah, highly likely to succeed. I would say, you know, the other thing to think about with that is guys at the top end usually who have average athleticism and look the part on film. So we're talking about a guy like Nick Bosa, you know, Bradley Chubb, guys like that who aren't smoking the combine but you just watch them and you're like this is an nfl player right now or you know those guys hit i think nick bosa fits that mold i think josh allen in the right scheme probably fits that mold so th- those would probably be the six pass rushers in this class that i would say go and grab them right now is there anyone that you would groan if the packers did draft them anyone you specifically do not want on your team and I guess we should specify like early rounds because like yeah. you know, some guys you grown it at 12, you are ecstatic for it. A hundred, you know? Yeah. Uh, TJ Hawkinson. Let's really? not draft a tight end 12th overall. Yeah. Let's not do it's that. It's just a pure value value. Yeah. Judgment. It doesn't make, yeah. yeah, it doesn't make sense. And yeah. it's like, he's not even like a super athlete or anything like that. Like he's going to be a fine player. He's going to be like a three contract guy in the NFL, but at that position, you should be drafting a guy who's probably worth like seventy million over five years. I don't see Hawkinson as that type of guy right now. You know, tight end is the biggest asset dump in the NFL. When you look at, you know, twenty-five tight ends are getting paid like six million dollars or more per year. It's just something ridiculous. And then you look at what they're doing in the draft, and these guys aren't doing anything until their third or fourth year in the league. Yeah, and it's just like, why are we doing this? Why is yeah. this position getting paid so much? We don't. Yeah. We don't need Max Williams. With two X's. No, because pe- people <laughs> always talk about, you know, the quarterback position and how there's like kind of no middle class, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like if you're a veteran and you're worth a deal as a quarterback in the league, you're going to make a crazy amount of money. There's basically like no difference between the top and the bottom end of, you know, starting level veterans. The same thing's happening at the tight end position right now that people aren't noticing. Like every tight end is getting paid and it just doesn't make any sense to me where I'm like, just take Irv Smith in the second. Look at yeah. Sternberger. Like, there's a bunch of tight ends in this class. So, I don't know. I, it also I don't doesn't. Get at 12. It, but I, mean, I will say, like, LaFleur's scheme, he's going to want a blocker at tight end. And yeah. Jimmy Graham is not that blocker. That's why Mercedes like Lewis is back, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, if they can't get a tight end, look, if they can't get it, if they can't get Hawkinson in the, in the first, I think they just might trade like Jimmy Graham on draft day. And then draft one of the like the super athletes, you know, on day two, and just say, yeah, you're gonna play, you know, on the wing. You know, you're not gonna be our inline tight end. That's gonna be Mercedes Lewis. But 
we'll transition you into the role while Mercedes Lewis starts. What do you think Jimmy Graham is worth uh, in a draft day trade? <laughs> We're going to get like a fourth round pick from the Patriots for him. That's going to be something stupid. I already know it. But that's that's kind of LaFleur's mold and tight end. Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, if Jimmy Graham is still on the roster and he starts, he's going to have to play in line a lot. Yeah. And that's just not the type of game that he's he's playing. Like, that, he's never been good at that. And his talent is dropping off. And then at the same time, it's like, does it make sense to even pay Jimmy Graham what he's going to get in cash this year? Probably not. So if you can get something for him, it's better than nothing because you're just going to release him next year. Might as well. Justice, what do, what do you think about uh, official APC podcast mascot, Big Bob Tanyan? Let's give him a shot. <laughs> why not? Let's give him a chance. Why not? Yeah, why not? Why not? What's the worst that could happen? <clears throat> Brandon Boston. Anyway, so. Oh my goodness! Let's not do that. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's he's made more plays than Bostic already in his career. So That's he true. had that catch in Seattle. So yep. Quick quick aside. I think it was uh, um, Matub out there in the in the Packers Twitterverse who who turned me on to the friendship that is Eddie Lacy and Brandon Bostic are like roommates, and you can like follow them on social media, and they're just like Wait, like now they're roommates. Yeah, and they're just like hanging out and having hijinks and having a good old time. It's it's pretty uh it's good pretty for them. if you got if you if you got the stomach for it it's pretty hilarious uh, i think and i agree if, good for them if you if you don't have the stomach for it you're a jerk let it go yeah <laughs> like why are you holding on to that shit for there's i mean like you just had 2 years of awful packers to be way more mad about all right as as usual justice i've forgotten valuable life information due to the uh, excess of football knowledge that that you've crammed into my head so thank you very much for that man yeah man no, no problem. Anytime. I'll probably come on after the draft to break down some of these guys. With you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we uh, plenty. We'll have so much to uh, do. I mean, I guess also you don't think the Packers need eleven, you know, late round picks, right? So, are you, no. are you looking to see them package up? Hopefully. I mean, we'll we'll see what happens. It might be, you know, going from that third round pick moving up in the second. That that yeah. might be the type of situation that they should be looking at. Because so I think they're in a fine spot at twenty two. I think they're in or at, at uh, 44. I think they're in a fine spot at 12. You know, 30 can probably drop, but I don't think they would want to. Like I said, I don't think they want to make a pick at 30 probably just mm-hmm. because of the value and what positions are going to go in that range, how much they cost, things like that. Um, 44 makes a lot of sense. So I don't think they're going to trade up from 44, right? Yeah. So the next logical pick would be that third round pick. So if they could turn that third into, you know, a late second or something like that, that might be something to look into. Hey, if they pick at 12 and they have three second round picks, I'll be happy. So mm-hmm. Yeah, the, good. They, they go into the draft with 10 total picks. I would be surprised if they, if they make all of those picks. But ladies and gentlemen, the draft is upon us. We are in the home stretch. So remember this, kids. Everything you hear right now in terms of rumors, it's all lies. It's all smokescreen. So just sit back, tune it all out, and wait for the draft to actually actually happen so then we really have something to talk about what don't do don't listen to that get (laughs) totally bent out of shape around nonsense (laughs) this is all entertainment that's my new twitter bio getting totally bent out of shape about nonsense yeah that's the fun of it (laughs) all right guys keep it locked in to acmepackingcompany.com for all things packers get bent out of shape about all kinds of nonsense about the green bay packers subscribe to us here and follow us on Twitter at the APC pod for the latest takes and uh, bad jokes. And follow our guest, Justice Mosqueda, at Jumosk on Twitter. 
And um, yeah, at Ben Foldy, at Zach Rapport, at Alex Patakis, who is uh, like on a sales call right now. But, uh, you know, our thoughts and prayers do go out to him. So uh, let's have a draft, people, and we'll talk about it after that. Go Pack Go!